0: couldn't help but think, I, you know, I, I didn't, it didn't dawn on me that this was the last Sunday in the decade until uh, another pastor, David Brown over at Hillcrest uh, had posted something on his Facebook page that, hey, come join us at church for the last Sunday of the decade. And I thought, man, it is the last, like that's when it kind of, I started thinking about it. And then I thought, then I got to thinking about a decade, 10 years and I got to thinking about like ten years ago, like where was I at ten years ago? think about Think about where you were at ten years ago. Now, it may not be December ten years ago, but for me, there was a there was a crucial time in my life that was taking place on this week, ten years ago, on this week, ten years ago, I was packing up what little meager belongings Ashley and I had accumulated, and we were uh, technically, about to be homeless in a, in a sense because we hadn't closed on a house yet, but we were in transition. This would have been the last Sunday I was on staff at a church in, in Thayer, Missouri. And next Sunday would have, was going to be my first Sunday as pastor of this church. And I wasn't thinking about any of this until Facebook. Curse Facebook. I'm just kidding. But I got to thinking about just everything, like 10 years of, of what, and what my life was like. And so I remember thinking, you know, we were kind of in this transition and, and we hadn't, I had no clue what I was doing and I, 27, no kids. I remember my first Sunday here, we had two babies, uh, four children, and now on a normal Sunday, we have as many children In this church, as we had the total attendance of this church the first Sunday I was here. And I was sitting and all these things were flooding through my mind as, uh, as we were singing that last song. How great is our God. And even this morning... As I look around, we're decimated by some illnesses and, of course, as the holidays and people are traveling. I can't help but to look out and say, how great is our God? And so I, I got to, you know, yesterday Luke, Luke texted me and he said, man, I've, I've got this stomach bug. And he said, I don't think I'm going to be able to preach. And I was like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to preach and so last night, I came, I came into the office, and, and I got to thinking, I keep a file folder of, of unused sermons, like sermons that you've just written over the years, you've never preached for whatever reason. And I pulled one out, and I looked at the scripture, and, and before I even read the sermon, I, I, just re- I, I flipped to the scripture, and I got to reading it. And, and it, now keep in mind, all, this, all these things are... are, are Congealing in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking about the end of the decade, and we're getting ready to, to begin a new decade. And I'm thinking about where I was at in life uh, then, and and where where we are today. Um, had some conversations this morning about you know what life was like ten years ago versus what life is like today, and 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 you know thinking about who was you know we're, we're in the in the life of a church how. And even in life in general, you know, like 10 years ago, I, I, I thought one way about myself. And 10, I'm 10 years older now, but I still think of myself a lot like I did 10 years ago. And then you're thinking about, well, who in the church was my age 10 years ago? And now they're... And it's just, you have all these things going around. and I, and I But this verse, if, uh, uh, if you have your Bibles, Second uh, Chronicles uh, is where we're going to be at this morning. It kind of there, there's a, a several different things that I think pertain to us this morning. One of them is is there's something that's happened that kind of marks a milestone for us. It, it's kind of the it's the end of a decade um, for the people in our passage today. A major uh, construction project um, was completed. Um, what what the king at the time calls the people to do was probably what many of us were doing on this very week 10 years ago. Um, that there is a, a spirit of prayer, um, at least in my mind and, and, and maybe in yours, just because of this, the things surrounding. Uh, for those that were in the church, there might have been a kind of a, maybe for us, a, a, a spirit of uncertainty uh, because you guys hired a guy with zero pastoral experience um, and, and 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 I was uncertain about you know myself to be honest with you, and I was uncertain about a lot of things. I was uncertain about what what we are going to do and what we're going to become. And so there was this. I, I I sensed there was this spirit of prayer at the time in the church. There was a spirit of prayer in my life at the time, specifically regarding what we were coming into. And then I got to thinking about. What, what we should be doing as we, as we go into this next decade uh, of, of life of this church. Now, this church has, has been ministering for, for 70 plus years. So we are going to be entering like this eighth decade, so to speak, uh, that this church has existed. You had the 40s, you had the 50s, the 60s, 70s, 80s. You had the 90s, you had the 2000s. We've been through the 2010s. And now we're getting ready to embark on, on the 20s, which that does, does that even seem possible? Like how many of us is going to take forever to write 202, for those of you that still write checks, 202 and not 201 and then think. And so anyway, we're getting ready to embark on this new decade. And so in our text today, what we're going to find is like the, 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 the day, a day has finally come for these, for these Israelites. All the work has paid off. Everything has been accomplished. This grand vision has finally been set in, in, in place, and and, and now uh, and now they could see it in all its glory. You see, the, the, this the moment that that we're going to talk about this morning was the day that the temple that David envisioned building was finally constructed. Now, if you <coughs> excuse me. If you know the story, you know that King David desired to build a temple for the Lord. But the Lord told David, you're not the guy. So David spent the end of his, his, kind of his kingship you know, acquiring all these things that were going to be needed to build or began acquiring all the materials that needed to be built, needed to be used for the building of the temple. And Solomon was the one who actually had the temple constructed. And now in 2 Chronicles chapter 7... Uh, the, the, the temple is finished. They have done seven days of feasts to celebrate the completion of the project. And then they on the eighth day, they call a solemn assembly. And the temple is dedicated, and, and, and Solomon says a prayer. And in verse 11 is where we're going to begin uh, reading this morning. And it says, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. And then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. And when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, he says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And he says, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that, Father, your word proclaims to us that you are a God of hearing. That, Lord, as we are coming out of the season where we celebrate the the birth of your son in in human form, Lord, we know that his name was Emmanuel, God with us. We know that your word has proclaimed to us that, that Jesus was the word made flesh and he dwelt among us. And God, this morning we're looking at your temple where earlier in the chapter it says that your glory fell on the temple. And, 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 and we see uh, that, that your presence was there. And God, just as your presence was there, now your presence is with us in the, your Holy Spirit. And God, we are so thankful that you are a God who has made yourself known to your people. And not only, God, have you made yourself known to your people, God, you desire for your will to be known to your people. And God, it's the, the the simplicity of it and that you desire for all people to be saved. That you desire for those that have been saved to grow in their relationship with you. But God, we are also aware that there is our aspects of your will that have not yet been revealed to us. And God, there's litany of reasons for that, Lord. Sometimes that, that we, it's not time for us to, to receive them. There's times that maybe we don't want, we, that you're ready to reveal, but we don't want to hear. God, maybe there's times that we just ignore. But God, I know that as we are, Wrapping up this decade, and, and Lord, as a church, you're beginning to embark on a new decade of ministering to this Lebanon and the surrounding communities, Father, that you have a will for us. And God, that will begins with each and every one of us as, as individual believers, And God, in the beauty of of something that only you can do, of taking these individual members and forming them together into one body. And God, one body doing what, what we cannot do individually, but we can do together. And God, we know that you have a will and a work for us as individuals and as a body to accomplish. And so, Father, we ask and pray, Lord, that you would help us this coming decade as we study your word this morning, that, God, our ears would be attentive, that our hearts would be receptive, that our minds would be understanding, God, of the things that you would have for us to do, that we could make your name known, that we could declare your name to be great, and that, God, your will would be accomplished on this earth as it is in heaven. For it's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You know, I can't help but to think just a little bit um, of, of the folks here. I, I've never done a major building project. Never been a part of a church that's done a major building project. But, you know, can you imagine that, that the, for, for the Israelites, the temple... Is finally finished and God's presence finally has a permanent space in which to dwell. And I can almost think, you know, as we looked back, if we look back on our study of the book of Nehemiah, and we look even further back as we look at the text today, you can almost imagine that that these people might have the, the temptation to take a seat. And take a deep breath, and say, "Our work is finished. Like we're done. The project has been completed. The last stone has been set. The dedication has occurred. The feasts have been done. The solemn assembly has been has been has been uh, 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 performed. Like we are done." And to hearken back to a movie from many of us are familiar with, if you build it, they will come, right? And maybe having that mentality. And I think sometimes if we're not careful as a church, we can kind of have the same mentality that we can, especially those of us who maybe were here 10 years ago, looking at the way things are today to sit back and say that even today in the holidays and the sickness, we've got a good crowd here this morning. And we can have a tendency to sit back and say, man, I really like the way things are. Our work here is done. And I remember 10 years ago sitting with, with a family in our church and I remember looking at the wife and I said, man, if, if you could set some goal that you would like to see us achieve, what would it be? And she said, I just want people there and I want it to feel like a family and, and, and just for God to move in our midst again. And I, and I, and I got to thinking to myself, you know, here not not so, so long ago, I like, you know, by any standard of whatever she had in her mind, like we would be there today. And for us, if that is our if that's a, a goal for us, we would have a tendency to sit back and say, Well, if that's our goal, then mission accomplished, let's sit back and enjoy what God has done. But I think sometimes. God moves in the midst of us and, 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 and does some things in us to let us know that our job, our work, our mission is not yet complete, that the work is not done yet. And so as we look at this text, I, you know, I, 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 and all these things kind of coming together in my mind, we, we see that the Lord appears to Solomon in verse 12, and he says, you know, I've heard your prayer, I've chosen this place as, as for myself as a house of sacrifice, but then he says in verse, 18, verse 13, and it's something so interesting to see. But when he says, "When I when when I, when I shut the heavens and rain does not fall," or or, or 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 he says, "When when I or or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people," and I'm like, "Why would Jesus like or why would God do this? Like why?" Why in the midst of all this, pro- I mean, you read earlier in the chapter, and the people are praising God for their prosperity, for the way that he has blessed their kingdom or God's kingdom. But then he says, but when I cause drought and when I cause the locusts to come and devour the land or when I send pestilence, And you know, you look at the history of, of the Israelites and, and you see this very cyclical nature when you begin to take this 30,000 foot view of the history of God's people in the Old Testament. You find that there's, there's the time when, when, and we'll just start kind of at the top, at the peak, they're worshiping God. He is the, the only God. He's the only God they're serving and worshiping. They begin to fall into some sin and there's some idolatry and some and some and they and they don't follow the Lord quite as much and then there's this this season of, of punishment where god where God brings judgment upon them then there's this series of of, of, of repent. then there's a season of repentance where they realize in that moment how far that they've gotten from the Lord and why all this uh, this despair and this Uh, punishment has fallen among them, they repent, God forgives, and then they're right back at the top where God begins to to bless, and they're living in God's blessing, and they're worshiping the Lord. And that cycle just repeats itself over and over and over again throughout the history, really the history of God's people. And so he says, if I do this, or he says, but when I do this, and then, and then we get to verse 14. And for, for anybody who's been at church you know, for a while, like it's a, a verse that's familiar. Like we don't fully understand it. You know, maybe we don't, we've not really studied it, but it's one that, that is familiar to us. And he says in verse 14, he says, if this happens, when I do these things, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now, I, I got to thinking about this, and you know, we've certainly, after the last couple of days, we're not experiencing any drought, right? Though heavens haven't been shut up. Um, there's no locust that I know of, though the flies made a uh, return with a vengeance when it was almost 70 degrees on Christmas Day. So that might be, and, and I would say in large part, maybe we're not experienced much pestilence. But here's what I might say is we're kind of looking at this text. Spiritually in our lives, could there be a drought occurring? Spiritually in our lives, could there be something attacking the blessings that, that God has, 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 has brought into our lives? That maybe there's just something that, that you say, man, If I wish if I could just get this one thing under control. If I could just, uh, you know, just a something. Or maybe it feels like that there's some dis- disease that's creeping into our hearts and lives spiritually. There's something in us that just is not right and we can't quite put our finger on it. And sometimes what it is, is that it's just we have drifted from the Lord and we have not acknowledged that. Like we've just slowly drifted away from him, where we think that, matter of fact, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He, he makes a statement to him, and for some reason it has just, it's just kind of rang true to me, and it's talking about in the last days. Now, we can talk about, if you want to fast forward just a little bit. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, he says to them, and they'll, and, and, and they'll and turn from their wicked ways. Now, let me just read you a little bit of what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter three. Because you may be thinking, well, you know, we're not wicked people. And by and large, I'd say maybe we're not. But listen to what he says. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and listen to this. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And then he says, avoid such people. Now here's the thing. We have a tendency in our hearts to look at a passage like this and we think of people not in church, like those that aren't saved. But listen, every single one of those characteristics can be used to describe people who sit in pews every Sunday. Every single one of them. Lovers of self, lovers of money, all these things that happen having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And when I read that having the appearance of godliness and denying its power, I couldn't help but to think that sometimes in all our lives we drift from the Lord and we have the appearance of godliness and we are living under the deception of the enemy that we are godly people living in godless ways, right? Like we, are, we, we think we are godly people, but these things that Paul says the last time, these are things that are gonna happen and we are partakers of them, that we can be lovers of self and lovers of money and we can be treacherous and we can be slanderous and we can be deceivers and we can have the appearance of godliness and deny its power, But listen, to when when we look at that and we think to ourselves, but he says, if my people who are called by my name, now here's the beautiful thing in this. When he says called by my name, we gotta understand that there is an invitation here. So there's two groups of people this morning. There are those that have been saved, that you are a child of God. You have been called by the name of Jesus. But there's also the invitation that goes out, an invitation to all people. That for, remember what John 3, 16 tells us. For God so loved the, what? World, that's everyone. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever, that anyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life, right? And then Romans 10, 13 of the Romans Road. Anyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. So there is the invitation that God extends to all people to be a part of his community, to be a part of his kingdom, to be a part of his family, to be adopted as sons and daughters. But there's also, there, so there's the invitation, but then there's also the, 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 this, this um, uh, and I'm forgetting the word, let me go back. There's the identification, right? That we identify ourselves as Children of God, as people called by his name, that we identify with that. We receive the invitation, we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we understand the implications of that, and we identify ourselves with him. So he says, Those people who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves. What was one of the things that Paul wrote to Timothy? He said, In the last days, people are going to be proud. What's the opposite of humility? It's pride. And it's pride that, 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 that keeps us from, from being able, that when, when we hear something or read something in God's word, it is pride that keeps us from acknowledging that maybe that thing is something that we struggle with or is it a sin that we are committing and from us, and pride keeps us from acknowledging that and pride keeps us from repenting of that and pride keeps us from receiving forgiveness for that for that thing that we're struggling with. I had a, a conversation. Keep, um, we have a whole lot of prayer lists, but, but um, Joanne Myers, keep her in your prayer. She's having some nerve issues in her head and it's creating a lot of pain. But I remember we were at, a, at, at a, a, a Sue Cook's birthday party yesterday at church. And I remember looking across the room and seeing her and her face was just buried in her hands. And I thought, man, that's not like Joanne. So I go over, I say, Joanne, what's what's going on? And she said, man, that, that nerve is, and then she'd, she'd go like, there would just be obvious pain shoot across her face, and then it'd be gone, and she'd carry on with her conversation. And I said, why don't you go to the doctor like that? ER's for stuff like this. And she's like, oh, it's been going on on Monday, and since, since Monday. And she'd I got a doctor's appointment on Monday. I'll just wait and go then. And I'm like, you are in obvious pain. You need to go get something now. And you know, we we look at that and we think, man, if people would just not be stubborn, right? If they would just swallow, and I'm not talking specifically about Joanne. I'm talking, listen, I'm the world's worst about going to the doctor. Why? It's, It's pride, right? Like, I don't want to admit that there's something like wrong. I want to act like, I'll be fine. I'll take a couple aspirin and be fine in the morning, right? That's what we think until it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. But pride keeps it. If we would just swallow our pride, get rid of our pride, humble ourselves and go to the doctor, instead of being sick for two weeks, maybe I'm only sick for two days, but some of us are gluttons for punishment, aren't we? Like, we would rat, like, we're just like, well, my, I'm, there ain't nothing wrong with me. I'm not near as bad as, and, but inside, man, you are just not feeling good. And sin works the same way. It is the same exact thing, only the implications of the sin that we're pri- too prideful to acknowledge, the destruction runs much deeper than just not feeling good for a couple of weeks, right? sin begets sin. And so we have this thing that we're covering up. And the next thing you know, like it just gets a little bit worse. And before long, like things are so bad that you're not real sure how you got where you got. And listen, I can testify to that because just this last week, I had that moment. I had that moment where all of a sudden some things are happening in my life and I don't understand how things got as bad as they got. But they had gotten bad. And I'll just say it, there was an, appear- there was a, uh, an appearance of godliness, but there was a denial of its power. And I sat in my garage and wept because of the brokenness that had consumed my life that I did not want to acknowledge. You know what I did? Everything's fine. Everything is fine. But he says, my people have to humble themselves. And it doesn't matter today if you feel like you've got anything wrong or not. There is an attitude of humility that is is part and parcel with being a child of God, that, we, that humility is, 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 becomes a form of our character and a form of our nature, that we are humble people. He says "If my people will humble, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. If I, if I had to say there is one thing that we have got to begin doing, both collectively as a church and individually as God's people, as we head into the next decade, it is that we must become a people of prayer. We have got to, it is a necessity for our church to survive. We have got to be a people of prayer. And I'm not taking, talking, as I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord. My, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about I'm talking about we set aside, aside time daily to pray and seek the face of God. That we turn to the scriptures and we look at Paul's prayer in his, prayers in his epistles and we look at the Lord's prayer and we study it and we see the nature of those prayers and we seek to emulate and model those in our own prayer lives. In fact, uh, maybe not in January, but at some point in the first couple, three months of the, the new year, we're going to begin studying the book of Colossians. And in that book of Colossians, Paul begins to pray for his, for, and he does that in about every epistle that he writes, every letter that he writes. He begins with a, a salutation, a greeting, and then he, he goes into something that he's thankful for. And then he begins at some point in the first chapter to two chapters of our Bible, he prays a prayer over their people that he's writing these letters to, that they, that they might be filled with the knowledge of his will and that, that they would grow and, and bear fruit and all this beautiful language of what, of spiritual prayers that Paul prays for God's people. But oftentimes the spiritual prayers we pray are, God, would you please save somebody? And that's our spiritual prayer. Then it goes to what I need and what maybe the, the needs of others. But pray, that we would learn to pray these spiritual prayers, that we would be filled with the knowledge of God, we would be filled with knowledge of his will, that we would know, that we would know. And I'm a, I, man, I'm telling you, I got some, some things coming up that I'm working my way through that talk about that, you know, what we do and we know God is, is speaking to us. What to do in those moments. But we pray and we seek his face. He says, and, and he says that we would pray. And then he says, then, then he talks about what he's going to do. If they will pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Again, this idea of humility. And what does prayer do? Prayer sets ourselves kind of in this, in this frame of mind, this ability when we have humility and prayer, all of a sudden we can receive from the Lord what our hearts need to receive from him. You see, when pride is there and we're not spending that time in prayer, we can keep going on and convincing ourselves that things are indeed okay. Everything is fine. I'm good. Everything is great. But it's in those moments where, we are, where we've humbled ourselves and we're seeking God's face and we're praying that all of a sudden God has control of our hearts. And as we read and study God's word, all of a sudden things are coming out of it that maybe we've never, that maybe we've never understood before, maybe we've never received before, maybe we've glossed over before. And all of a sudden we're we're realizing some things, some things that maybe have driven a wedge and separated us from our relationship with the Lord. And now he's got our attention again and he's calling us back and he's revealing these things to us so that we can continue to walk in this newness of life. We walk in our relationship with him and be able to receive the blessings from him that God desires to give to us. But, we, but it involves us turning from our wickedness, not justifying it, not saying that it's okay. And, and listen, we... we every single one of us, there's not a person here that is not guilty of this, of justifying or, or, or minimizing the things that we struggle with. We don't turn our back to him. We just say, well, it's not as bad or I could be or something along those lines or maybe we just don't even acknowledge it. Well, I just enjoy doing it and God's this big teddy bear and he knows I'm sinning but he's okay with my sin because he loves me Listen, if that were true, let's just dispel that rumor right now. If that were true, Jesus would not have come and Jesus would not have had to die. If God was a big teddy bear that just looks on our sin with a chuckle, oh, that little rascal. He knows better, but God bless him. He's just enjoying himself. You know, if my son's playing with a sidewalk chalk and he's out in the middle of the road and he's not paying a bit of attention, but he's, drawing. I would, and I'm looking out of my front window and I'm going that little rascal, Eric, he's out in the middle of the street, writing on his, he doesn't have a clue the dangers and that, that he's, it can he he encounter, he doesn't have a clue that his life could end in a moment. But God bless his little heart. He just loves playing in the middle of that street. If you pulled up in my house and you said, Andy, your son is playing out in the middle of the street. And, Andy go, and I said, well, God bless his heart. He's just, Doesn't he just love it? He's so cute out there. You would look at me like I was crazy. And you, if you were a good person, would go out and tell my son, don't play in that street. But yet we play with sin. We toy with it. And then we look at it and we say, God bless. Well, God just looks at it and he's okay with it. He's not okay with it. He wants us to repent of it and he wants us to turn up because he's got so much more for us. But if we'll turn from our way he, he, and I love this. He says, then I will hear from heaven. I will hear and I will forgive and I will Heal. You know, there's a story, and I, I want to preach on it. I want to do a series on it. There's a story in John chapter 5 of, of this, this place, and it's called the Pool of Bethesda, or Bethsaida. There's a couple different translations of it. But the belief about this pool was that an angel of the Lord would come down occasionally and stir these waters. And if you were, if you were the first one in when this waters swirl, then you would be healed. And and the phrase in the King James is something like, whosoever was the first in the water would be healed of whatever was wrong with them. That's the King James slash Andy Rain's paraphrase. Whoever was the first in would be healed of whatever they were wrestling with and i love the, this imagery that we get here this imagery where we where he says i will hear from heaven and i will and i will heal their and i'll hear from heaven i will forgive their sin is that the, the order of he and he will hear from heaven will forgive their sin and i will heal their land and i can't help as we kind of bring all this back together We've spent the last several weeks talking about this idea of the, the, this word appearing or dwelling, the idea of God's presence being with us. Earlier in the chapter, in, in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, we see God's presence descend on the temple and his glory dwelled there. And that, and that imagery, as we think back forward to, to John chapter 1, when it says, and, 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 and uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John says, and we beheld his, anybody know? Glory. And, and here in the text, God tells Solomon, he says, he says, I have heard your prayer and chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. He says earlier that, that, that this would be the, the place that people would come and, and, and meet with God. But here's the beauty of it now. When those beautiful words were spoken in John chapter one and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, we don't have to go. This, this right here is not the only place where, God's, where our prayers to God are heard. This place right here, this church house, is not the only house of God where God's spirit dwells. You see, the Bible tells us in the New Testament that we are God's temple and God and God dwells in us as his creation. Through whatever however that happens with the Holy Spirit him coming, that any place that we pray is a house of prayer. Any time that we have an attitude of prayer, God hears our prayers and he will forgive our sin and he will heal our land. That we can pray and that God can do something miraculous in us as we communicate with him. That as we pray, God communicates with us directly as we listen and we become more aware aware of what his will for our lives is. And it's it's a moment-by-moment thing. It's not that there's one great thing that God wants you to accomplish, that there are still, whether you are 80 or you are eight, there are things that God wants you to do on this day. There are things that God's gonna want you to do tomorrow. There are gonna be things that God wants you to do on Tuesday. There are things God's gonna want you to do on Wednesday, but it is having that attitude of prayer and of humility and of saying, Lord, I am yours and you are mine. Use me on this earth in the time that I have here and show me what it is that I need to do. And that attitude of humility as it leads with you. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning.